This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones. This is a show you need to share. This is a very special show, maybe one of the most important shows, if not the most important show we have ever done. This show is on the Pope and his visit to Iraq, and my guest is Juliana Taimarazi. She is president of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. Um, she has been at the forefront of advancing the interests of the various ethnic and religious minorities in Iraq. Um, you got to meet her. You've, if you've listened to the show uh, since the beginning, you've already met her. Um, but this is a very important show. Iraq is going to be in the news this week. And if you want to really get a broad view of what's going on, you got to listen to this show. Then we're going to do a show with the foremost expert in the world on Iraq. I promise you, he's never done an interview before. He's coming on next week. You need to listen to that show. Where we're going we're gonna to dissect the Pope's visit, okay? This episode is being brought to you by Movie to Movement, creating a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film. Go to movietomovement.com. Check out our movies, The Vulnerable People Project, Standing in Solidarity with the Vulnerable, from the Assyrians, Chaldeans, and Yazidis in Iraq, to the Uyghur and Chinese-occupied East Turkestan, Join the Vulnerable People Project by going to thegreatcampaign.org. Become a monthly donor that really supports our mission. And as always, this episode is being brought to you by MyPillow. You know I've been sleeping with MyPillow for over a month, and it is the best sleep I have ever had. Um, but right now, Mike is offering a buy one, get one on his Giza sheets. I know you have the pillow already because they don't go flat. They're made in the USA, and you can wash them. You need the sheets to go with the pillow and there's this great deal. These Giza sheets are made with the best cotton called Giza, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. Its long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. Its sateen weave gives them a luxurious finish. It's available in multiple colors, styles, and sizes. It's machine washable and durable with a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. Mike Lindell says... The first night you sleep on my sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. And that is true. I can prove it because my seven-year-old is in my bed every night because he loves the Giza Dream sheets. So I'm going to get him his own for his birthday. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use the code Jones, and you get those deep discounts and that special deal on the Giza Dream bed sheets. You can also call 800-876-0708, 876-0708 and use the code Jones. Now, for a very important interview with Juliana Timorazzi. It's the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, Juliana Timorazzi. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Thank you for having me on. It's so exciting always to be with you, Jason. Well, uh, first of all, you, you know, I miss you. We used to see each other a lot more and with the work we do around the world. But this COVID year, I don't think, when was the last time I saw you in person? Uh, probably a year and a half ago when you guys came over to my house oh, for that's... a quick dinner. Oh, an amazing dinner. <laughs> yeah, with a friend of mine. That uh, you, was great. We should do it again. Yes, we, we should ha- do it again. And you I love your mom. Over. 
Your mom is awesome. Thank you. She loved you guys too so much. So much. Well, the food was great and the company was great. So Juliana, you have, you know, um, you're the perfect guest. I, the, the Pope is going to Iraq. Okay. That's what the show is about. And um, we're going to do a show afterward, after the Pope's visit, and we're going to analyze the trip. But I want to set it up for folks um, because the media has done a horrible job of communicating to the American people the hell uh, the people of Iraq, uh, Iraq have gone through, especially ethnic and religious minorities, not just our co-religionists, not just Christians, Yazidis and others, right? And um, so, I, you know, with your work, your, your work that you've been committed for, for I, I mean, since the day I met you um, with the Iraqi Christian Relief Council, uh, on behalf of the people of Iraq, and this is important to you because your own family, your, your great-grandfather died in the genocide, you yourself, I think we did a whole show on like how you had to escape Iran um, in, in a very, and maybe we could talk about it a little bit today when you were a young woman. Um, but you didn't forget where you came from and you've continued to fight for the Assyrian people, Christians, and others. Um, can you set it up for the folks um, what the past 20 years have been like for the people of Iraq? Absolutely, Jason. Look, uh, the last 20 years, if I may take you guys back a little bit more to start of Iran-Iraq war, really, it, since the 1980s, the uh, Assyrians, the Chaldeans, and others have been suffering in Iraq tremendously. Uh, but especially with the rise of Islamic radicalism inside Iraq with the invasion of the United States starting 2003, no one was paying attention, Jason. You know, you started really paying attention to this cause early on, like me, no one really was uh, paying any attention in the United States. Uh, one and a half million Iraqi Christians down to, what, 125,000 people today, uh, only within the last 18, 19, 20 years. Um, it, it all began with uh, destroying their churches, uh, mutilating the bodies of their priests, and really people started feeling uh, very afraid and started escaping. Uh, a lot of people's uh, children were kidnapped, um, men were murdered, and this all went on starting 2004 and five. That was the height of really a genocide that was just not spoken of. Um, but then with, uh, with ISIS coming back to Iraq, returning to Iraq in 2014 in June, branding the Christian homes, being aided by their Muslim neighbors. Really, the Muslim neighbors gave up the Christian home, Christians and uh, they branded their homes by the Arabic letter N. And Jason, you know, the Arabic letter N represents the Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth and those followers of his who are called Nazarenes. And whoever was in those homes was either killed, was given the three options to convert to Islam, to pay the tax, uh, or to leave. And people were able to flee if they were lucky. Um, and the Yazid and then the, the the wrath fell on the Yazidis in August of 2014 in the Sinjar. Uh, so people have been really suffering for a long, long time under our watchful eyes. And this deafening silence from the West has been just terrible. And um, now with the Pope going there, which we'll talk about soon, uh, it's um, to me, frankly, it's just a show. Because when everything was going on, uh, majority of the Christian world was silent. When he had the opportunity, he was silent. So why now? 
Yeah, why now? Well, I think I know why now because it doesn't take courage. Do you remember when um, the Pope was in Greece, I think, and he thought he was talking to Muslim refugees? And you and I fight for Muslims all over the world. Um, but he thought he was talking to Muslim refugees. Turned out, I think they were Assyrians, Assyrian Christians. He said, hey, we're going to take care of you and, and bring you, uh, 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 um, we're going to shelter you at the Vatican. When he found out they were Christians, they, the, the invitation was never um, followed through with. It's like he had a hatred yeah. of its own. And now he's virtue signaling. And you and I have worked together really before the eruption of the genocide. I started speaking out before even the invasion of Iraq, saying if we invade Iraq, we will be paving the way for genocide because Americans do not have the fortitude. They will not know what they're getting into. We will shatter order. We will leave and hell will break loose. St. John Paul the Great was saying the same thing. And then, though, it looked like under Bush, things were becoming stabilized. And I thought I might have been wrong. Did, did, you, when, did, did you have a, a moment of hope um, like in 2007, eight, did you think maybe this is going to work or did you, because I had really thought I was wrong. I said, wow, I, I really got this wrong by the grace of God. Thank God. Um, it looks like order and prosperity and peace will be coming to Iraq. Did you have a moment of hope in 07, 08? You know, our moment of hope was when, to be very honest with you, when George Bush declared that he was going to topple Saddam Hussein because topple Saddam, uh, toppling Saddam Hussein was getting rid of a tyrant that was um, committing, a, who had committed a uh, massacre uh, and massive oppression against the ethnic minority that are indigenous to the people of the land called the Assyrians, right? He was okay because he was a Ba'athist, and Ba'athification means Arabization. He was okay with us being Christians, but we did not dare to talk about our nationalism. He called us all Arabs. So there are hundreds of families that en masse, they were uh, buried alive uh, when you talk to the Assyrians and no one really talked about it. So when uh, when uh, George Bush talked about going to invade Iraq, we thought what would happen as, they, as the United States put the no-fly zone around the Kurdish area, that they would do the same for us around this 1,600 square mile area around Mosul called the Nineveh Plain, that we would have our own autonomous region too, to be able to self-administer it, right? So we thought that would happen. But very soon after, we saw that really the United States, unfortunately, did not have a backup plan, did not have a good plan. And we fell under the sword very quickly. And then we knew we were mistaken by supporting this war. During the time of surge, Jason, we had a moment of hope. We said, okay, the peace is going to... Uh, uh, work now. We paid a heavy price. Yes, we we uh, our population at the time from one and a half million had been reduced to about five six hundred thousand. We said, okay, we paid the price, but let's see the surge is working. And then Obama pulled out in two thousand eleven. And then uh, before that, even uh, uh, the massacre, and you know you're very familiar with it of our state, Our Lady of Salvation Cathedral, which the Pope is going to be visiting. Uh, on the on uh, I think the the fifth or he's going to conduct mass I believe on the fifth uh, in this very cathedral that I had been to I was there in 2018 uh, where 58 people died they have a small museum in the basement you'll see the I'm sure the coverage will show it 
um, that happened on the 31st of October 2010. And then when Obama pulled the troops, we knew, you and I knew, there will be en masse massacre of the minorities, not just Christians. And we were not wrong, unfortunately. No, unfortunately, and, and I'm sure you remember, it was a week or two after the massacre that I said, oh, no, this is it. And this was, it was IS, the Islamic State of Iraq. There wasn't ISIS yet. And yes. it was on Halloween 2010. We held an event at the Costello's restaurant of the Blue Star in Chicago where we invited members of the Assyrian and Chaldean community. I flew in from L.A. You were there. I believe you were there, right, with Violet? And yes. we, we tried to bring together a coalition and raise money to get publicists and lobbyists because, we, you know, we knew we were standing up against the most powerful interests in the world, and it was like no one would listen to us. It was so bizarre to me that we could see, I mean, October 31st, 2010, it became clear, and hell is about to break loose, you know, and then, and I can understand maybe for most people who aren't really engaged uh, in the region, maybe how they couldn't see it. But by 2013, 2014, it became very, very clear. I mean, obviously, you can't miss it. It couldn't be missed. But yet there was silence from Pope Francis. Am, am I missing Absolutely. it? I felt he was completely silent. Did he I was, miss anything? Did I miss anything? Jason, when you came, you came to a vigil we hosted in 2015. Um, we were on eight networks begging him when he comes to the United States to call this a genocide, to uh, when he's speaking at the White House from Congress um, and also at the United Nations, to speak about the slaughter of, of his flock, of his people. And to my recollection, he did not speak on uh, behalf of our people, on behalf of his own people. And, uh, um, and until today, frankly, when you talk to the people in the diaspora, everybody smirks when they hear Pope is going. They say, why? Why is he doing it? Is it a show? Is it for a show? And people on the ground, uh, there, are, there are a lot of people that are excited he's going because they're cautiously waiting for something uh, positive to transpire. But if you talk to the leadership that are in the know, that have dedicated their life to serving the, the least of these, they know it could actually backfire. In fact, when he's, uh, when he's scheduled to go to Nasiriya, which is which where Or is located, the birthplace of Abraham, um, just three days ago, uh, Jason, I don't know if you know, going back to October of 2019, Recall, do you remember the whole revolution? Iraq, Iraqis were standing up against Iran, Iran's infiltration inside Iraq, and so many were killed. Nasiriyah was the hub of it. Yes. And just four days ago, so many were killed. It was really bad in Nasiriyah, just, just on pretty much leading up to Pope's visit. And uh, the, when I spoke to the leadership in Iraq, Iraqis were saying, look, we don't know if it's safe for the Pope to come uh, as of four days ago because Nasiriyah was so volatile. And now he's planning a trip going there. Um, frankly, to me, as an advocate, as, as someone who's dedicated her life to this, and I, as someone just like you who's connected to the people in the region, uh, I'm not really hopeful. I'm not really hopeful. Because when the time was ripe, he was silent. So for me right now, what he's about to say, I, it doesn't mean anything. Unless he makes a very monumental statement a lot, standing alongside of the Ayatollah, the supreme leader of the Shiites, 
um, Al-Sistani, something that is earth-shattering, something new, something progressive. Otherwise, if he plays lip service, never again, uh, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I don't know if you, I have an article up at the stream and I'll put it in the show notes where I said it is, it is, it is necessary that the Pope apologize for his silence. He's apologized for a lot of things that he had nothing to do with, but I think he has an obligation to apologize for his silence and then maybe speak up for, for the Uyghur that he's been utterly silent. One, one, uh, phrase, not even a complete sentence. He's have, has one phrase, uh, in a, in a, in a, in a book where the Uyghur are, are mentioned, not even a complete sentence. And that's all I know. Um, but maybe in 15 years when the Uyghur, uh, are either freed or no longer exist, he'll go to East Turkestan and, and visit the graves. But it's a very important that we speak up when people are suffering. And you just mentioned a man who I greatly admire and there's a lot of prejudice, um, you know, especially if you're my age in, in the late forties, fifties, our war with Iran, that we think of Shia Islam as synonymous with it's it's the worst. You know, we were we were raised to believe that Shia Muslims are the dangerous Muslims. Um and uh Grand Ayatollah Sistani is a real hero. Um, do you want to talk about him and the courage that he has had and maybe the historic relationship between the Shia and the Christians in the region? You know, I, I'm from Iran, and you know Iranians are mainly majority Shiites, and uh, the the Shiites really respect Christianity a lot more than Sunni factions. For example, the as we know, um, ISIS that really uh, blundered uh, over the Christian sites and Christian heritage were uh, essentially um, uh, Sunni. Uh, the reverence that the Shiites have for Christians is really uh, very um, appealing to Christians. Uh, I grew up in Iran, yes. Are we treated as second-class citizens? Yes. Do we have to submit to the Sharia law in Iran, for example, covering our hair and things like that to respect it? Yes. But are we slaughtered as as cradle Christians? You, you know this term, right, Jason, cradle Christian? Yes. Cradle, yes. Cradle Christian, for the listeners, cradle Christians are those who are baptized as infants. Um, so they are they are greatly respected. Al-Sistani has spoken against what has happened to the Christians of Iraq. In fact, I've said this so many times in other uh, interviews, I was requested to meet uh, with one of the uh, Shiite clerics who came from Najaf. He came to the United States, to Chicago, and he requested to meet with me. And he said to me, tell your people that Iraq is like a flower. And Iraqi Christians, Christianity is like the scent of the flower. We Shiites believe if you take the scent of the flower away from the flower, it doesn't, the flower loses its essence. You are the children of this land and you can, we, we don't want you to leave. And Sistani has sent that message over and over again. Um, and uh, that's quite a different uh, message that we've received from the Sunnis. Well, there are enthusiasms that erupt through all communities and cultures. We've seen it here in our own country, sadly, recently. But, you know, in, in my visits in Iraq, in, to Iraq and in, in the region, you know, my Arab, my, my Sunni friends, my Shia friends, my Kurdish friends, they've always said the Christians are our older brothers, the Jews are the oldest brother. And this is a sentiment that exists in a lot of the beautiful and noble people there. And now do they have prejudices and cultural um, you know, history is real and the burden of history is real and the resentments of history is real. But, you know, when I, you talk about Iraq as a flower, 
I called my wife once from, um, I was in, I was in Al-Kush and I called her from a satellite phone and she heard my voice and, uh, she said, we're not moving there. <laughs> she could hear in my voice <laughs> that I was falling in love. You know, I was falling in love with Iraq. Do you want to talk about Iraq and just, you're an Iranian, but the Assyrians, you know, that's part of your homeland is Iraq. So I know Iraq is, is very important to you. Do you share with people the, the beauty of Iraq? Iraq, ancient Mesopotamia, is known as the second holy land after uh, Israel. Um, many, many biblical activities have happened there, um, from Daniel to Prophet Nahum. You mentioned Alkosh. The place, birthplace of Prophet Nahum was uh, Alkosh. I couldn't Jonah. believe I, I was there. You know, they brought me right there and I got to pray. Unbelievable. Yes, and isn't that near where the Babylonian exile was not far from there? Babylonian exile was uh, in the south, okay. in the south, um, south of uh, Iraq, yes. And uh, Jonah, let's not forget Jonah. Jonah went to Nineveh, to today's Mosul, and I'm a Ninevite. So Jonah went to my people. He preached to my people. And uh, we, till this day, Jason, we honor um, the three-day fast of Jonah. At the time, the uh, Old Testament says that the Ninevites fasted 40 days, and 49, uh, 40, 40 days and 40 nights. And we fast three days and three nights. And our Thanksgiving is on a Thursday, uh, once a year. And uh, Iraq, but prior to Christianity also, the Assyrian people, uh, many of you know the Assyrian heritage and the Assyrian bravery. Uh, in northern Iraq, uh, in today's Iraq, is the heartland of ancient Assyria. And Assyrians, uh, really the first, the first organized library was established by one of our kings, King Ashurbanipal, in Mosul, in Nineveh. Um, and Assyrians gave so much to civilization because, you know, to me, the Pope today is not just going to Iraq, Jason. Pope is going to cradle of civilization. Pope is going to where Christianity put its first roots through St. Thomas, Thaddeus, and, and Bartholomew. Let us not forget that. and. The Assyrians, our history is 6,700 years, and we're divided in different denominations. Uh, and we truly love uh, Nineveh. What Jerusalem is to the Jews, for us who are living in diaspora, Nineveh is to us. And this, frankly, is very emotional for a lot of us, that we're not able to, to about 3 million Assyrian Chaldeans that are throughout the world, spread throughout the world. Nineveh is our homeland. And we're not able to return there because of the volatility, because of lack of security. So one thing, if there's one thing that I could say um, Pope could do, which I know he will not do, but we hope that his uh, trip to Iraq will bring attention to the minorities of Iraq and would uh, that would open a new door, a new conversation to policymakers, because it's great, the fanfare is going to be wonderful, it's going to be probably good for the church. But what is reality? The reality is that we need policymakers to start paying attention, not to treat the minorities of Iraq, including the Christians, but also the Yazidis, the Mandeans, and others, not, the, not as dispensable people, to help us have security so we can secure ourselves to be able to live on our own land, to to cultivate our own lands and our heritage because I can be a Christian anywhere in the world. Thanks be to God so far, Jason, because you know, we're facing persecution too in the West, but I can be a Christian in the West. 
But what is missing, what we're losing is our Syriac uh, modern day Aramaic language. It's melting away. Our heritage, our cooking, our cuisine, our dances, our traditions are going to be extinct within the next 100 years. Why? Because we live outside our homeland. And today, I promise you, not just myself, but scholars tell you, if the world does not pay attention to the indigenous people of this land, within the next 100 years, there will not be one indigenous child that is going to be left in Iraq to continue their rich heritage, Assyrian heritage, Aramaic language, that really has given that descent of the flower to Iraq. Because Iraq used to be a beautiful mosaic, a beautiful tapestry of Mandaeans living there who are followers of uh, John the Baptist. Uh, the Yazidi, the beautiful Yazidi people that have been decimated. The Christians that are called the Assyrians, the Chaldeans, the Syriacs. The Kurds um, that are also Shiites and also Sunnis. And the Arabs that are divided in different factions. This is a beautiful tapestry. And it could be, really, if it's assisted, to stand on its feet, to be a role model for the entire region. Because the region is on fire. Look at what's happening in Armenia. Look at what the Tur- what Turks are doing to uh, Armenians and to others, and it's just really my hope is that this is going going to open new conversations. And Jason, I think you and I have a responsibility to uh, build on what's happening. No, and you'd be happy knowing I'm, I'm going to share more with this with you and the audience. We're doing a film. We're making a film this year that really is going to celebrate the beauty of Assyrian culture around a tragedy and. I'll tell you about that because sometimes people don't know what they're, we're losing. You know, we're progressing to this global homogenized state where we're trampling all of the flowers in the Nuba mountains. Um, you mentioned what's happening to the Armenians at the hands of Turkey today, the Uyghur, uh, Yemen, Iraq, Syria. We're, we're watching all these beautiful flowers being trampled. And my, my article that, uh, that came out at the stream on Pope, Francis's visit, which is going to be in Arabic and Kurdish in Iraq in the papers across the country on, on Friday to welcome uh, my Pope to Rome, I mean to uh, Iraq, uh, the, the, my article will be there to greet him. Um, but what I wrote is, I want to read this to you. I said, uh, these were my hopes of his visit. I said, along with them, I hope the Pope and Grand Ayatollah, the Grand Ayatollah make a clear commitment. He must embrace the preferential option for the vulnerable. This principle, this principle puts the vulnerable, destabilized, and stateless people first. And the West needs to lead by example. It's a resource-rich country. It's a resource-rich region. We have been disingenuous in our dealings there. If if we are disingenuous, of course the Russians are disingenuous, the Turks are disingenuous, Saudi's disingenuous, the Chinese are really, really the champions of, of, they're not even, they're, they're, they're open about their desire to exploit the region. Uh, we need to lead by example. Why would we expect the government in Baghdad to, t- to put the interests of the vulnerable first if, the, if we're not? And they feel trampled and scared and paranoid and, and, and vulnerable. So, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. We need to put the interests of the stateless ethnic and religious minorities first. We need to have a voice. We need to not just... Never again means nothing, does it? I mean, saying never again when when it was happening, you didn't open your mouth is gross. Yes. 
it really sends chills down my spine when they say never again. I, I as the grand, great-grandchild of um, a husband and wife that died in the hands of Turks, uh, in World War, during World War One, in Urmia, northwestern Iran, as the grandchild of survivors who walked on foot escaping Urmia to to USSR, my grandfather's feet were bleeding as he was running, uh, escaping Urmia, w- watching women leaving their infant babies underneath the tree, um, leaving them behind because they were burdened by these babies and they were leaving them hoping somebody will pick them up to take care of them. When I hear never again and me being involved with this war for 14 years, being in touch with refugees, seeing their indignified lives today, what their lives have been reduced to, when I hear the words never again, Jason, it is like a slap in the face of martyrs today and yesterday. Yeah, and it's a slap in your and, face because I've watched as you and your team with very little money, very little, you know, very little resources. Um, by the way, in, in 30 years, if ISIS rises again and finishes the job, there'll be all sorts of galas, well-funded. The beautiful people will show up. They'll, they'll beat their chests. They'll sigh, right? And major corporations will in, fund those events. But when the battle's raging, it's you're all alone. I've watched you travel the world, you and Violet, all alone with very little resources. You know, one of the most poignant moments of my life and the most sorrowful moments of my life was when you and I and, and your partner, Violet, we were at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And I felt like we were with Chuck Norris and Mark Burnett. Do you, you know, you remember, of course. And yeah. we, were, we were able to corner, like we literally would corner the most powerful people there, right? Yeah. We would, we would put the letter N in Arabic on their chest. We'd hand them a shirt. We'd take their picture. We'd ask them to tweet about it. We'd ask them to speak about it. But we had a good meeting with Mark Burnett and many other very powerful people. Then we went to this bar and, and we were celebrating with nachos and queso dip, I think. And I felt like we don't have money. But, you know, we don't have a lot of power connections. But today, we, we were we speaking to the most influential people in the world. Today, we did something great. And then above our head on CNN at the restaurant, the news was that ISIS attacked a village in Syria. And then that was Violet's village. And then her phone rings, and it's her own relatives that were kidnapped and some were murdered. In real time, we're there feeling like staying at, we were staying at the cheapest hotels around there. We couldn't, we didn't stay at the fancy hotel the event was at. And then the fire alarm went off. We couldn't even sleep, which was funny. And then the fireman let us go back to our room. Uh, you went to your room and Violet went to her room and I went to my room and the f- smoke was in the room. And we're like, can we go back to sleep? Do you remember that? Like, go back to sleep. I remember that. I remember that. Only in the South. You're, you're telling it like a movie. Yeah, it was, it's like you're describing it like it was a movie, really. I mean, to your listeners, it's exactly how he described it. We, ha- we met the, strong, the most influential people. We went to have dinner. And you know who was there? The director of uh, Sing a Little Louder uh, was there, the husband and wife. Oh, that's were there right, as well. that's right. And all of a sudden, the, the report is on CNN, and then uh, Violet gets this call from Syria directly that her family has been kidnapped, and a few have been murdered. Look, I'm getting chills telling, retelling the story. 
And she screamed, if you recall, she screamed. So that's what we saw real in real time, what ISIS does to a family, because it touched the organization. It touched the person that was sitting next to us. It touched the, touched the person who is, a, is a, one of the founders of Iraqi Christian Relief Council, who's dedicated its life to victims, right, of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. So it's, uh, it's exactly how you describe And if you recall, Jason, after we left the dinner, because we couldn't finish the dinner, uh, Baroness Cox, we saw her walking towards us. And she hugged Violet, and she cried with Violet. I don't know if you recall this. Of course. Encounter. Can you tell people about Baron? There, there, are, there are these great heroes like Congressman Chris Smith and the Baroness Cox. Um, and Congressman Wolf, Frank Congressman Wolf, who Frank dedicated Wolf. 40 years of his life to religious freedom. Uh, Baroness Cox, she's, I think, her 80s. She is tireless. She continues fighting for the less fortunate, for the persecuted. Uh, she does everything she can to raise awareness in England and throughout the world. Um, uh, Congressman Chris Smith, Congressman, former Congressman Frank Wolf, really these are our heroes of our time that are tireless in their old age. They're tireless and you know how Frank I Frank Wolf I took our movies, sing a little louder and ran around the world loved, showing it to the world. He really did. He paved the path. You know, people like this, Jason, paved the path, path for people like you and I to follow, and we have to pave the path for people that will come behind after us, right? These people's feet have bled. They have endured so much, and we honor these people so much. And we cannot do it alone, though. Jason, you and I cannot do it alone. We need friends. And I'm grateful you've brought me to your show. I honor you so much. I honor our friendship so much because you have opened so many doors for me, and I look forward to doing the same for you and doing more together because only together we're able to be even stronger uh, than what we already are today. Well, not what you've done so much for me and like lending your voice and being our partner. You know, um, in the military, in the army, we had a, a three-man obstacle. You had, it took three men to climb, or women, to climb this, this tower. You couldn't do it alone. You couldn't do it with two people. It was designed that it took three people. And that's what solidarity is. And, you know, the other thing I always remind people, vulnerable people are not weak people. They're... they're they are strong people placed in impossible situations. And so the Assyrians, the Yazidis, the Uyghur, the Chaldeans, these are very beautiful, strong people with rich histories placed in impossible situations. And then for people who are like, what does this have to do with America? Well, we made their life a lot harder. This isn't about do-gooding and looking all over the world, um, to you know, meddle and stick our nose into something. This is saying we have a responsibility. We break it, we buy it. And um, our foreign policy mistakes, as an American, I have to say, our foreign policy mistakes have led to the disaster that is what, what has happened in Iraq in the past 20 years. And the silence as a Catholic of the Catholic hierarchy on what has happened to our co-religionists in Iraq is, is allowed this to happen. And so never again comes with the responsibility of speaking when it is hard. So what would you say to someone listening? This seems like such a, a complex issue and it's a far off place. And they maybe feel like, what do I know or what can I really do? What, what can they do? You know, they're so going to hear I all the news on the Pope coming and it's going to get all mm -hmm. this attention this week. And people are going to be like, okay now, but what can I do? 
you know, what is real is human life on the ground and what they continue to go through. Um, we have an aid organization, uh, Iraqi Christian Relief Council. We're in the process of building businesses, fixing these people's homes that have they've returned after the destruction ISIS caused. We're uh, providing education. So if you want to be a part of something great, no matter how large or small, I invite you to visit IraqiChristianRelief.org, IraqiChristianRelief.org. And you can be a part of uh, helping somebody, in a, even in the smallest way, uh, put food on their table. If you're able to help us start a small business, a small business of sheep, um, like a, uh, a sheep farm, is going to last them years because of the uh, the the, uh, the quality and also the nature of the business. It only costs I don't know twenty five hundred dollars, three thousand dollars to start a sheep uh, business or a um, hair salon business. We started two hair salons in the city of Tilkith that is heavily Chaldean city, right outside Mosul, that was completely decimated by ISIS. We started two small businesses for. Uh, two young men whose parents, whose fathers were killed, and uh, they're standing on their own feet now because they're the men, of, and they're young, but they're men of the household, and they're taking care of their families, and that only costs two thousand five hundred. And there are people that can give towards this uh, because we're helping putting food on the table, all the way from that to all the way to starting. Uh, to help people stand on their feet. So IraqiChristianRelief.org, you can help us inside Iraq. You can help adopt refugees, meaning what? Um, refugees, there are about uh, about 10,000 families or so that are um, actually 1,000 families that we've identified, 1,000 families that we've identified that really are in desperate need of medicine, of food, these people, Jason, you know, I just went after the Beirut blast, I went to Beirut and I brought aid to Maronite Lebanese and also to the Iraqi refugees that were there and also Syrian Christians that were there as refugees. Jason, if you were only with me, you would have wept every single night of the devastation that these people lived through every single day. Uh, not just because of the blast, because of just how they are in destitute. Um, they're sick with diabetes, with heart conditions, blood pressure, cancer is running rampant among them. Their children are not being educated. And you can adopt these people for as little as $100 a month, $3.33 a day. Do we have $3 a day to give to a family to eat, well, well that's, a Christian family? You know, that's beautiful. And I'm going to put your um, organization's link there. And I would ask everyone to go there and click through and, and, and support Juliana's work because it is it is truly beautiful work you know and, and you talk about this being the another Christian homeland or a second Christian homeland to Palestine and Israel it's actually to me it's it's part of the first I mean I you've been to St. Thomas in Arbeel and I remember when I was there I embarrassed myself because I had asked you know which St. Thomas that this was you know named after and they because they said the St. Thomas who founded I said oh which St. Thomas was that and they looked at me like I was crazy and they said, well, the apostle, the apostle founded this church, this parish. I, and I said, did he, and I said, well, how long has this building been here? He goes, well, this is the new church. It's been here since 1100 AD. The original one burned down in 1100. So that it's been there since 1100. These are ancient Christian communities. And of course, the modern nation states weren't there for 2000 years. So we had 
missionaries like St. Matthias above Al-Kush. That was, that was a missionary that came from Iran, correct? And so, no, uh, that uh, in Al Kush, in Al Kush, it's uh, uh, Rabban Hormuz, Saint Hermes, who came from Iran. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, that's right. Yes. And and yes. so you know, it's really from the very first centuries of Christian, the oldest extant copy of the New Testament is in the Nineveh Plains in Iraq. Um, this is the Christian homeland, and so when you support this community, you're really a coworker with Saint Thomas. And we're remembering the friends of our fathers, the friends of our forefathers, because these were the original evangelists that brought the gospel to the world. And so now I'm speaking as a Christian, that these are our friends. These are the friends of our fathers. And, um, you know, we had such excitement. Do you remember when they had the election and and there was the, the photographs and news stories and Time Magazine and Newsweek and every publication in the world had those Iraqi thumbs with the yeah. blue ink on it showing that they voted. And Bush landed and said, you know, um, mission accomplished. We took pride in that. But that's a joke, really, because we never kept a promise that they didn't ask us to make. We made a promise they didn't ask for, and we never kept it. And so my commitment to Iraq is for sort of the honor of my country and a commitment to my co-religionists and generally to stand with those who are vulnerable but as an American, we made a promise, especially if you supported the invasion or if you supported the withdrawal, we have a special responsibility because now I'll say I oppose the invasion and I oppose the withdrawal. But I think if you, if you were a cheerleader for the invasion of Iraq or if you were a cheerleader for like, let's get the heck out of here, well, then I think you have a duty as a free citizen in a constitutional republic that is the most powerful nation state in the history of the world, that is a free citizen, that you have an obligation. We all really have an obligation to keep the promise that we made. And so I would ask that they support you. I ask that you support Juliana and her organization and her work. And I'm looking forward to um, working with you again. And I I pray that you're going to get a lot of uh, media opportunities this week and next week to really share with people that this isn't just a virtue signaling opportunity for people in positions of power, but that you'll have a chance to really tell the story of what has of the people of Iraq have had to suffer for, through for the past two decades. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for all of this. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And the last thing I will say, on the pontifical website, um, the Pope says, uh, there, it's written, you're all brothers. And I think it's written in Syriac, and, uh, in the Syriac script in Aramaic. That is the language that Jesus spoke in. That is the language I'm speaking to you all about being on the verge of extinction. We are going to lose these, these uh, marvels. We're going to lose these pearls if we don't protect them. And this is why the opportunities that you extend to me, Jason, and the partnerships that your listeners will form with us are of extreme importance. And please, now that you've listened to this, podcast this program please spread it to your friends because we need to be all educators people don't know and we have a responsibility to let others know well you have been tireless and uh thank you for your work and um i can't wait we're, we're breaking down the budget now of this film and we've made a, a real commitment that this is going to be a movie that gets made this year because that scent to the flower uh people don't even smell flowers so we need, to, we need to share with them the flower 
so that they know what they're missing. And, um, you know, we need to draw lines in the sand and say that we are going to protect these beautiful uh, civilizations, these beautiful cultures, these beautiful human beings, these real people in real places that their families have lived forever. Um, We need to stand with them, uh, not only because it's what we should be doing as Christians because they are our brothers, um, but because it's in our own interest, right? It's in our own interest to live in a world with beautiful sense and, and beautiful diversity. Amen. All right, Juliana, you can jump off and, and um, we'll catch up later. I'm going to wrap the show up. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Right. God bless you and God bless you all. Aloha. All right, everybody, that was Juliana Tamarazzi. And I really do hope that you visit the website. I am going to put it in the show notes. Look at the different giving opportunities. Um, for me, it has been a beautiful privilege. Uh, I, being from Chicago, grew up with friends that were Assyrian and Chaldean, and that's sort of how I was introduced to the culture, how I was introduced to Iraq. And then just my best friend has lived and worked in Iraq now for over uh, almost three decades, um, and he's been wounded three times in that country in his service um, in his service to our country and to the people of Iraq. So it's something that I've cared about for a long time, and it was really what opened me up to the work of standing with the solidarity with the vulnerable from the very beginning for me since the since the uh, mid-90s. It's been a, a commitment to the people of, of Iraq. And so now the Pope's visit is going to give us a real opportunity. So I never say this. I'm glad Juliana said this. I can learn from her. Share this show. Share this show uh, because I want to share Juliana's voice. Um, this episode has been brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the vulnerable at the most vulnerable times in their life. As you heard, we have been uh, standing with the people of Iraq. We are at the vanguard of advancing the interests of the Uyghur, and that is the mission of the Vulnerable People Project. Go to thegreatcampaign.org. Become a monthly donor. If $3, $5 a month is what you can do, that is awesome. Any gift of $20 or more, you get a free copy of my book, The Race to Save our century, and we get a lot of $3 gifts a month, and that makes me very happy because I know that is folks that that it is really hard for them to give, uh, and it means the world to us, and it really helps us. Those those gifts really push along our mission. This episode is also being brought to you by Movie to Movement, promoting a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film. One of the films we had a privilege of working on with Juliana, and I'm going to put it in the show notes, is Sing a Little Louder. Go into the show notes. And watch our film sing a little louder. And as always, this episode has been brought to you by MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com. Use the code Jones. Check it out for those deep, deep discounts. When you use the code Jones to make your MyPillow purchases, you not only get the best pillow in the world, the best sheets in the world, and a mattress topper that's magnificent, you support the work of this show. All right? Until next time. Aloha. It's the Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show. Powered by Mudhouse Media. Mudhouse Media.